All right, First Peter chapter 2. Um, let's read a big chunk of First Peter because uh, we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. And I want to have a little bit more context to, um, to do that something a little different. Um, I also wanted to say, too, that Nick, those are great hymns. Where'd Nick? Oh, there. Uh, those are two of my favorite, so thanks for picking those. And um, I purposely tried to cut down my message this morning so it'd be shorter. So we might be out of here in like 15 minutes. We'll see. <laughs> I know I've been going late a lot, so I wanted to partly, my, part of my motivation this morning was to try to be on time. All right. As you know, we're going through First Peter, and we're into chapter 2. And we've begun the what I think is the second big section, uh, big part of First Peter, and um, covering one of the three main things that Peter wants to tell his readers, and that has to do with submission. Um, so we're going to read uh, almost this entire section. It's not that many verses. It won't take us long. But I just want you to see again uh, the theme that Peter is, is following in these verses. So we're going to start in chapter 2 and verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if, when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do, uh, but if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls." Chapter 3, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if you do, if they do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let, or when they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do likewise. Do not fear anything that is frightening, and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, and a tender heart, uh, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. 
For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to the prayer, or to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So that's the end of this section. In the next verse it says, Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? And he begins the final section of the book uh, on suffering. So, what is the theme of those verses that we just read? I basically told you, but I want to make sure you're listening. What is the theme of those verses that we just read? Anybody's welcome to answer. Imitation of Christ? That's good, Darren, but it wasn't what I was looking for. <laughs> Imitation of Christ is definitely part of it, for sure. I, I, I'm not saying that's not in there. What else, though? What's the main theme? It, there's, there's basically three parts, right? And what are the three parts? Sam, were you trying to say something? Submission, yeah. Now, where did you find the word submission in what we just read? Yeah. You said it's submission, so you must know. Well, at least in my translation, the word submission isn't even in there. So what more specifically is the theme? <laughs> well, <laughs> no, nobody does that anymore. I'm, sorry, I'm just teasing. I'm just teasing. Yeah, of course, it's going to depend on your translation and how it, how it works. 3 verse 1, it says, Be subject to your own husbands. Be subject. That's the that's the theme, right? And of course, it's closely related to uh, being in submission, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But the theme is to be subject. Uh, if the King James translates that one different, or or Sam, if your version translates three one as submission and the other ones as subject, um, they're all the same word in the Greek, so they should be translating them the same. Um, and it might be confusing to you if they don't. So it's all the same words in two eighteen. It's, or excuse me, 2.13, it says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. Verse 18, Servants, be subject to your masters. And um, 3.1 says, Wives, be subject to your own husbands. And then even though it doesn't say to be subject, starting in verse 8 there, there's this idea of unity and sympathy and brotherly love, which brings to mind subject, submitting to each other, being subject to one another, which is... Uh, backed up by other verses in the New Testament. So the theme is to be subject, if we're going to use the words in the ESV at least, to be subject to authorities. So that's the common thread. So I intended to uh, speak on verses 18 through 20, uh, 18 through 20, maybe getting into 21 and into the end of the chapter a little bit. And as I was preparing for that, because that's the second part of this section, and we did the first part last time when I spoke, uh, we spoke on, uh, or I spoke on, um, submission to governing authorities, human institutions. And so I was just going to move on. And this, it just kept bugging me, kept coming up that I felt like I needed to go back and explain what submission was. Um, because it's the predominant, be subject, submit, it's the predominant idea in these verses. And so that's what I decided to do. Instead of going to this next section, we're going to step back a little bit because it's so important to these verses and these sections here. We're going to step back a little bit and look at what is biblical submission. What does it mean biblically to be subject to authority? We have to understand what that means to understand these verses. So, this morning we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to do a Bible word study together. All right, so get your thinking caps on and your your fingers ready to uh, go to different verses. 
we're going to look at the New Testament and see what biblical submission really is. Now, of course, that's a pretty big topic. Um, submission is not just kind of, you know, one section in the Bible. This isn't the only section in the New Testament that talks about submission or being subject. And so there's a lot we could talk about, and we're definitely not going to be able to cover it all this morning. So what I want to do is just share a few observations with you that come from studying the New Testament, and then hopefully we'll arrive at a biblical definition at the end. I've got it already written down, so I know we'll arrive there, but hopefully it'll make sense that we'll arrive there. And uh, just through a few observations, without going down every, every avenue of what submission is, through a few observations, we'll hopefully get to that definition of what biblical submission is. And then next time, we'll continue with what specifically First Peter says, hopefully with a better understanding of submission. All right, so let's start this. I've got five observations. Observation number one. So I'm not going to tell you what the observations are at the start of each point. We're going to figure them out together. Observation number one. So I want to ask you, everybody here, please think with me. What do you think of when you think of subjecting something? What do you think of? You can maybe replace that word with submission because my first thought is that when we read these verses, as Sam said, we automatically think the word submission, even though that word isn't here in the English, in my English at least. So why do we, that's my first thought. When I think of to subject something, my first thought is that submission is in there somehow, at least in English. Those two words are related. But what do you think of when you think of to subject something? Yielding. Yielding. Okay, that's good. Yeah, that's a good thought. Yielding to what? Like at a stop sign? To authority. Yeah, yielding to authority. What about if I told you that a ruler is subjecting his people? That would be one legitimate use of the word to subject, right? But does that conjure up something positive? No, it doesn't. A ruler who subjects his people you might think of as a tyrant, not as a gracious leader. Um, you might also think of, uh, when you think of to subject, you might think of subjecting yourself to something negative. That's usually how I think of it, at least when I think of subjecting myself, like this is a ridiculous example, but I just thought of this phrase. By playing with his band at the local bar, he subjected himself to constant harassment because the people at the bar didn't like his music, whatever. So you think of something like that. You subject yourself to something and it's negative. Or I'm going to go submit myself to liver surgery, <laughs> whatever. So you're putting yourself under something, and it's a lot of times you're not thinking of a very pleasant situation. So to subject something doesn't always conjure up positive things. When you think of the word submit, you might think of different things, like you're submitting a paper to be graded in school. That's a type of submitting, right? It's not really the type we're thinking of here, but it's a type of submitting. You're yielding the paper to your teacher to be evaluated. Um, of course, as Ken already mentioned, you might think of yielding and obeying authorities of, of any kind, whether it's the police on uh, as you're driving, you're yielding to the rules that they put in place and that they enforce. Um, you might think of submitting your taxes as yielding and submitting to the government, um, or a litany of other types of rules that the governing authorities put into place. When we submit to the governing authorities, we're supposed to do what they tell us to do. Um, if you're into mixed martial arts or something, you might think of submitting your opponent. If you submit somebody, uh, you don't knock them out 
but you cause them so much pain that they give up. So that's a type of submission. You're submitting them. You're subjecting them to so much pain that they give up. How many of you, raise your hands, how many of you, when you think of submitting, also essentially equate it with obedience or obeying? Yeah, I do too. Um, Let me ask you this too. What do you think if I described, let's say, Steve Boucher? Let's say you didn't know Steve Boucher, and I said, well, Steve Boucher is a very submissive man. Would you automatically have a positive view of Steve or more of a negative view? Negative, says Darren. Anybody else that agree with that? Positive? Yeah, you're just, you just want to be opposite, I guess. <clears throat> depending on what context you're thinking about, and maybe depending on how I said it, uh, you might take it positively, but I generally think if you describe, I'm not saying this is right, I'm just saying it's kind of how it is. Um, if I describe somebody, especially a man, as a submissive person, generally I think, well, maybe they don't have a backbone. They don't stand up for themselves. And Steve, I'm not describing you that way at all. I just, my eyes locked on you, I wanted to pick somebody. Uh, so if you don't know Steve, he's not negatively submissive. Um, but... Generally, don't you think if you describe, like I said, especially a man like that, it's kind of a negative thing. They don't really, they're not really a strong man. They don't stand up for themselves. They don't, they just kind of do whatever they're told. And in our culture, in America, that's kind of a negative thing to just do what you're told. Um, some of you, and of course, since we, since we go to church, we're believers here and we've heard teaching on submission before, we probably, we might think of biblical submission too when we think of the word to submit. We might think of the teaching of wives submitting to husbands or all men submitting to government, or as we read here in First Peter, servants submitting to masters, or more appropriate to our culture or our times today, employees submitting to employers. So you might think of those things too. So what is it that the biblical authors have in mind when they talk about submission? If we're, or to be subject. If we're going to understand what we're talking about here in scripture, we're going to have to understand what they meant, not what we think. Because what I was trying to illustrate by asking you questions and thinking about this is that we have a broad range of what it means to submit or to subject something. And a lot of times it's a negative thing. And so when we read about subjecting ourselves or to be subject or to submit or to have a submissive attitude in Scripture, I think a lot of times our tendency is to bring a whole bunch of negative thoughts with us. Like, this isn't something I want to do. I don't want to be described as a submissive man in our culture. So what does it mean biblically? Peter obviously doesn't think that this is a bad thing to command his readers to do or to be. So let's discover what do the biblical authors think. So observation number one is that we have a, a two things, I guess, in this observation that submission and subjection in, in our thinking today generally tends to be negative and it covers a wide range of things from submitting a paper to a professor to submitting to governing authorities to um, submit, submitting, kind of equaling, obeying. So there's a broad range of things. What do the biblical authors really mean by subjecting? Observation number two. Whenever we translate or whenever we're reading our Bibles, you have to remember that we're reading a translation. I'm sure all of you know this, but our Bible was not written in English or Spanish or any other language that you might read it in, German. It wasn't written in these languages. So necessarily, 
whatever language it was written in, and you don't even need to care about that for now. The New Testament was written in Greek. Old Testament was written mostly in Hebrew and some Aramaic. But you have to understand that what you're reading isn't what was originally written. Now, it's very, very close, and most of the time you don't even need to think about it. But sometimes, especially with a word like this, we have to be careful that we're not, in, we're not taking our meaning of the English word that we're reading in our English text and thinking that is also exactly what the original authors meant. Now, because it's translated that way, very smart people did this. They carefully chose the English word to use, so it's going to be very close, but sometimes there's flavors of differences. And we need to be aware of that. And that's the case with the word to subject or to submit in the New Testament. There are multiple Greek words that can be used to translate into the English submit. So look at Galatians 5.1 for an example. <clears throat> Galatians 5.1. Galatians 5, chapter 1. And while I'm reading this, you can uh, also keep a finger in Hebrews 2.15. But Galatians 5.1 says, For f- freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. You might have a translation that says, do not be subjected again to a yoke of slavery or something similar. So again, those two words are very similar. Um, so what do, does that sound like the same type of flavor of submitting that Peter's talking about? Not really. It sounds more like bondage, doesn't it? It sounds like you're held tight by this yoke of slavery of the law. And that's... That's right. That's a good instinct, Darren, because this is a different word. This is the same word that's used in Hebrews 2.15. Let's read that real quick. Hebrews 2.15 says, uh, let me see it here, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. This is the same word that we just read in Galatians 5.1, and you can also get the same flavor of, of bondage or being held tight, constricted, uh, in handcuffs, that type of meaning. In uh, Galatians, it was the yoke of slavery, uh, or excuse me, it was the law being like a yoke of slavery, that kind of submission. You're submitting to something that constrains you. In Hebrews, it's fear of death constricting us. And this is not the word that's in First Peter. First Peter is a different word. But this word that we just read is kind of in our definition of what submission is, isn't it? So what I'm trying to get at here is when we read Submission or to be subject in First Peter and in other, and in most other places in the New Testament, we need to be careful to carve out this part of what we think of submission. It's not bondage and slavery and being held tight and constricted by something. Okay? There's another word. Um, turn to Colossians 2.20. Colossians 2.20. <clears throat> says, if with Christ you died to the elemental principles of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Does this sound like the same meaning as in First Peter? Maybe more similar, but not quite, right? And you kind of know where I'm going right now, so the right answer is no. Uh, but this is a third word that can be translated as uh, submit or to subject. And it's not, again, it's not the word in 1 Peter. This word has more to do with being um, uh, being put under obligation by rules or ordinances, which comes across in this verse, doesn't it? Why are you again putting yourself under these things that you've been freed from? 
So that, though, is a part of what we think in English when we think of to be subject, to rules, to ordinances, to things that constrain us, that make us less free. So when we think of, when we're reading First Peter and we're thinking and we're reading these verses about to be subject and to submit, we have to carve that part out of our thinking as well. So then that leaves for us the word that First Peter actually uses. By far, this word that Peter uses is by far the most common word in the New Testament that's translated as to be subject or to submit. By far. These other two words that I showed you, basically I read you the references where they're used. So by far, this is what is meant, what First Peter is talking about, what Peter is talking about in his letter, is what is meant in the New Testament when we talk about subjection or to be sub- submissive. Every time we are commanded to be subject in the New Testament, it's this word. It's not the other two. So what's our observation? We have to be careful when we're thinking in our English minds what we read into these verses or any other verse commanding us to be subject when we read the word to be subject or to submit ourselves or to be submissive. It's not. We have basically three words that cover everything that we think of in English in the Greek. And so we have to be careful with which word is used. Observation number three. Okay, this is where it's going to start to get, hopefully, <laughs> a little more interesting. So what does this word in First Peter really mean? Okay, we haven't said that yet. What does this word mean? Well, it means to be subject. Okay, but what flavor, what kind of subjection, what kind of submission is this? A little English grammar here. I had to look this up to make sure I had it right, so don't think I'm, I'm a real English pro. But subject, or to be subject, or to subject something, is a transitive verb. Okay, there's two types of verbs in English, intransitive and transitive. Transitive are by far the most common, and a transitive verb is just something that carries an action from a subject to an object. So, Nick, if I said I'm throwing the ball to you, throw is a transitive verb, because it describes how the ball went from me, the subject, to the object, Nick. Okay, so subject is the same thing. Somebody is subjecting, somebody is being subjected. Okay, so this brings up an interesting thought, doesn't it? If this is how this verb is in uh, in First Peter and in other places, who is doing the subjecting and who is being subjected? This is important because I think this touches on one of our fears when we talk about obeying these verses. One of our fears is, I don't want to be subjected. Now that might, uh, that might, that fear, that desire might be rooted in sin. We don't want anybody to control us. But still, who is the one subjecting us? I'm gonna read you some verses, okay? I want you to pay close attention. Put your thinking caps on. I'm gonna essentially read every single verse where this Greek word is used in the New Testament. Alright? I said this message would be shorter. It's definitely not gonna be shorter. Okay. I'm going to read through these quickly, okay? So just try to pick up the patterns. Don't, you don't necessarily have to pay attention to the specifics of the verse, just the patterns. Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. 1 Corinthians 15.27 and 28, for he put all things in subjection under his feet, but when he says all things are, un, are put in subjection, it is evident that he accepted, that he is accepted who put all things in subjection to him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him, so that God may be all in all. Ephesians 1.22 And he put all things in subjection under his feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. Philippians 3.21 
he or who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of his power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Hebrews 2.5, For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which you are speaking. Hebrews 2.8, You have put all things in subjection under his feet, for in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Okay, that's one set of verses. Who is doing the subjecting in these verses? God is. And specifically, in most of them, which part of the Godhead, Dave? God the Father. God the Father. In all of those verses, all of those verses where you heard me say subjected or subject, that was this word in First Peter, okay? So I'm not trying to trick you. Now, listen to this set of verses. Okay, I've got two pages. I might not read them all. Luke 2.51, And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he continued in subjection to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. Luke 10.17, The seventy returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Luke 10.20, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in heaven. Romans 8.7, Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. Romans 10.3, For not knowing about God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own authority, they did not subject themselves to the righteousness of God. Romans 13.1, Every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and, there, and those who exist are established by God. Romans 13.5, Therefore it is necessary to be in subjection not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. 1 Corinthians 14.32 and 34, And the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets. Verse 34, the women are to be silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but are to subject themselves, just as the law also says. First Corinthians 16, 16. Are you getting weary of this yet? Hopefully not. Or no one answered because you're all asleep. First Corinthians 16, 16, that you also be in subjection to such men, to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Ephesians 5, 21, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Ephesians 5.24, But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. Colossians 3.18, Wives, be subject to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord. Titus 2.5, To be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. This will be the last set we read. Uh, Titus 2.9, Urge bond slaves to be subject to their own masters in everything, to be well-pleasing, not argumentative. Titus 3.1, remember them to be subject to, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to obedient, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. Alright, then most of the rest are actually in 1 Peter. <clears throat> so, what was the theme in those verses? What was the difference between the, those verses and the first set of verses that I read? Did you notice anything? Dave? First set, God is subjecting things unto himself. Yeah. In this set, we are subjecting ourselves unto something else. Yes, exactly. Dave must have read my notes. That's exactly it. If you didn't hear what Dave said, Dave said in the first set of verses, God was the one subjecting. He is the subject of this transitive verb, subject. He is subjecting something. You know, In most of those cases, it was talking about how he subjects all things to Christ, and then Christ will deliver those, back, those things back up to be subjected, subjected to the Father again. In the second set of verses you'll notice that it, there were a lot of occurrences of subject itself, subject ourselves, subject themselves. Those itself, ourselves, themselves are not in the Greek text. But 
they're being interpreted that way because there is no subject. The subject is the one who is also the object. In other words, to be subject, we are subjecting ourselves. Now that's important to understand for what biblical submission is. I read you every single instance in the New Testament where there is an obvious subject to the word subject. For non-native English speakers, I hope this isn't really confusing. Subject, subject. Uh, but I read you every instance. So every instance in the New Testament where there is something subjecting somebody, something else, God is the one subjecting. We are never commanded, neither is anybody else, to subject other people or other things. We are only commanded to subject ourselves. Okay? Very important to realize. Does the scripture read, husbands subject your wives? It sure doesn't. And if you're a husband subjecting your wife, you better check the scripture. Does scripture ever says, governments subject your citizens? No. It says, be citizens. You know, that word's not there, but citizens subject yourself to the governing authorities. Does scripture ever say, say, masters subject your servants? No. It says, servants be subject to your masters. So what are our conclusions? Well, what is your attitude towards subjection? We don't want to subject ourselves a lot, I think, because we do not want to be subjected. But Scripture calls on you to subject yourself. We can identify unbiblical subjection or submission if we see somebody, especially a Christian, subjecting somebody else. That is unbiblical subjection. But it's also a call to our attitudes because this makes it clear that submission, subjection is an attitude of our hearts that in obedience to God, we apply to ourselves. We be subject. Subject yourself to the governing authorities. Wives, subject yourself to your husbands. Servants, subject yourself to your masters. It's an attitude of the heart. And if you are having a hard time subjecting yourself, it is a problem within your own heart. Now, I say that in a generalized way. We're not going to get into, in this message, all the myriads of, of, of specific cases where we have to think about submission uh, more specifically or more directly, but we'll get later into a tool that I think will make all that very easy. All right, that's observation number three, what we just said, that the idea of biblical submission is not that we exert it on others, but that we only exert it on ourselves. That is biblical subjection. Observation number four. We're often confused, aren't we? I can't always obey authority XYZ. How can then I submit to them? All right, we know this. It's very common. It's very commonly taught if the governing authorities pass a law that is directly contrary to God's ways and, and, uh, and forces me to do something that is unbiblical, I cannot do it. I cannot obey. When we read in Acts 5, um, where Peter and the apostles were drugged before the Sanhedrin because they were preaching the gospel of Christ, they threatened them. They said, do not do this. We are commanding them. Were they legitimate authorities over Peter and the apostles? Yes, they were. But what was Peter's response? You judge whether it's right for us to obey you rather than God. As for us, we must obey God rather than men. Okay, so we know this. We know that sometimes we cannot obey authority because they're teaching directly against what Scripture tells us to do. How do we solve this conundrum? 
Observation number four, submission is not exactly equal to obedience. How many of you raised your hand and said, when I think of submission, I think of obedience? Almost all of us, right? But it is not the same thing. Now hear me clearly, because they're very closely related, but they are not the same thing. All right. The Merriam-Webster dictionary definition of submit says to yield oneself to the authority or will of another, or also to defer to or consent to abide by the opinion or authority of another. Okay, so we hear the thoughts of yielding, uh, consenting, abiding. The definition for obey is to follow the commands or guidance of, to conform to or comply with. They're very similar, but if you think about these definitions closely, I think you'll agree that submission indicates an inward yielding. I will recognize this authority over me, and I, as far as it is possible for me, I will obey because I'm inwardly submissive, yielding to this authority. Obedience indicates outward compliance. Can you obey without having a submissive attitude? You sure can. Can you force someone else to obey? You sure can. Can you force them to submit? You cannot. Because submission is an inward attitude of the heart. And you can't change someone's heart. You can pray. I mean, you can do things to try. But ultimately, it's that person who will choose to be submissive. You can make them obey, just like a ruler can subject his people with hard labor, with punishments. He can make them obey him. He can't make them go home and talk about how much they want to yield to his rulership. And that's the difference between submission and obedience. You can obey without submitting, Submitting, however, don't get this wrong, submitting will mostly result in obedience. Because if you have a heart and attitude to submit, that will result in obedience every time you can. So don't don't think they're disconnected or somehow separate. They're very closely connected. But you can obey without being submissive. Submission will result in obedience most of the time. But because of the difference in the definitions, the door is left open to being able to submit without always obeying. That has to be very clear in your minds. And that's what the example in Acts 5 shows us. Or myriads of other examples in Scripture. For example, Daniel is one of my favorite ones. You never get the impression. Remember how Daniel, when he was first brought into the King King Nebuchadnezzar's court, uh, he was required, along with other men, to submit to the food regimen. But that was against what he believed he should be eating, according to, um, I think, according to Mosaic Law, right? So he could not obey in that regard. But did you ever see an unsubmissive attitude in Daniel's heart when you read through that passage? I don't think so. He doesn't, he doesn't flip over tables and say, I'm a Jew, I can't eat this stuff, charge! You know, I don't, you're not, you're not the boss of me, Nebuchadnezzar. No, of course not. He, he is very submissive in his heart. He recognizes that he is under a different authority now. They've been exiled into a different place. And God has done it. He's put him under Nebuchadnezzar. So these are his authorities now. He's submitting to their authority, but he cannot obey. And so I imagine uh, Daniel and his friends praying for wisdom. How do we get out of this? How do we do this? How do we maintain a submissive attitude while not being able to obey this? And God gave him a way out. He gave him favor in the sight of the eunuch who was overseeing them. And he allowed the experiment with the vegetables, and they turned out just fine. So no one ever knew that they weren't eating the king's food. Daniel was submissive, but he could not obey. This is key observation to understand so that we don't confuse submission with obedience. Again, they're very related, but they are different. 
All right, where am I? Observation number five. Ask ourselves, what is the reason we need to subject to authorities? Why does God require this of us? Why do we have to submit to authority? Well, there could be all sorts of answers. One of them, um, very clearly, is that this is just how God has made the world work. The opposite of people submitting to authority is anarchy. And we know how that turns out. That's not very good for anybody involved. And so we're just a piece of the puzzle. If I rebel against authority, if I don't submit, why doesn't everybody else have license to, to not submit? And then when everybody else takes their license to not submit, we have anarchy. So we're a little piece of the puzzle. We're a little gear in the machine that we need to submit so that things work well. You could take that approach, but there's something deeper that I want to get at here. And we're just going to read these verses in First Peter again, not all of them, but just the ones that, that uh, get to this. And think, as I read these verses, why are we submitting? Some of the verses are explicit. Some are a little less explicit. First Peter 1 or 2, 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. First Peter 2, 19. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. 1 Peter 2.21 For this, for to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, so that you might follow in his footsteps. 1 Peter 3.1 In the same way, wives, be subject, subject to your own husbands, so that even if they do not obey the word, uh, when they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. What's the common thread in all those verses? What's the reasons given, whether kind of implied or explicit? What are the reasons given for why we submit? Well, I, I submit to you that the reasons given all have to do with... Um, how did I put this? I put this better here. <laughs> it all has to do ultimately with obedience to God and allegiance to Him. Even when a wife is submitting to her husband who doesn't obey the word, the goal isn't just so that she's a mealy-mouthed wife. The goal is to win him back to the Lord. That's not the only reason, I think, that wives submit to husbands, but in as a reason given... It's one of the reasons to win her husband back to the Lord. That's a reason she submits to him. When we submit to governments, it's for the Lord's sake. Peter would go on to say, because we're slaves of God. So the whole idea in obedience, servants submitting to masters, is because you can find grace, you can reflect the grace of God to your master if you will submit to him, even when he's unjust. So the whole purpose of submitting to authority has a higher purpose of obedience to God and allegiance to Him because there's a a greater purpose we're working towards. And we can only achieve that purpose just like Christ did. That's why this whole section is in here about Christ being called to to, uh, suffer like Christ did because what did Christ do? He submitted to wicked authority that put Him on a cross. And what did He accomplish through that? God's will that we would all be saved. That's what he accomplished through submission and suffering through that. That's what we can't accomplish a thing like that. And we're not all, and I want to be careful here to say that we're not all called to suffer exactly like Christ did. We may not all go to death. We may not all suffer such torture and humiliation like he did. That might not be the calling that God has for us in submission. But the goal of our submission, whether it's to authorities or to your husbands or to your employers, 
is to glorify God, to obey Him in one way or another. Now, you may not realize this, and I hope this is true. (laughs) You may not realize this when I first said that, but this is the key to understanding every ambiguity, every contradiction that seems to come up when it comes to submission. Every single one, I'm convinced of it. Should a wife whose husband beats her obey First Peter and submit to him? Well, if she's doing, if she's submitting for the glory of God, can she submit to that physical abuse to God's glory? Well, maybe, I hope you don't disagree with me, but I think no, because that husband is disobeying God. He is abusing his authority. He is physically uh, endangering her. She cannot glorify God and work towards his obedience by submitting to that authority in that instance. Now, what should her attitude be? Hopefully, I mean, I can't imagine how you would do this, but her attitude should be to want to submit to her husband, to be able to because he changes and follows the Lord. So it's not an attitude of rebellion and get me out of here, I hate this man. But at the same time, it is not submission for a woman to subject herself to that type of thing because it is not ultimately obeying and glorifying God. So every conundrum that we can come across, that we can think of, but what if this happens? I, does I, do I need to submit to this government law? What if my employer is doing this? Does it glorify God to do it? Now, let me warn you that Peter does very explicitly say things like, even if your master is crooked, even if he's unjust. So we need to think very carefully about this, don't we? Some cases are obvious, at least in my mind, like like the physically abused wife. But other cases are not so obvious. Can you still glorify God in the situation? Because the the big problem with submission, right, is that um, unless when we're talking about humans being involved, the big problem is that that authority we're submitting to is never, no way, ever going to be perfect. And so there are always going to be reasons that we could nitpick to find, well, that's wrong. I'm not going to submit anymore. So our hearts, we need to remind ourselves when it, when we come across these, um, I can't think of the word, ambiguities is the only word I can think of, but these like conundrums of submission, our, we need to be careful that our heart is to desire submission to the God-given authorities that he's put in our life. If our heart is right, then we can begin evaluating, do I need to remove myself from this authority because I, can, I cannot submit and also please the Lord in this thing? I hope that makes sense. But I think it's the key, this observation is the key to understanding and to solving every problem that we could throw in the way of submitting or being subject to. So those are my five observations. Just to quickly review, um, observation number one. <clears throat> we have a, we bring a cultural idea of what subjecting is, or what submission is, into our reading of Scripture, so we need to be mindful of it. That's observation number one. Generally, I think our observation or our context is negative. We think negative of it, so we need to be careful to not bring that negative thinking into what Scripture actually talks about when it talks about subjection. Observation number two is that there are multiple words in Scripture for subjection. We need to be careful that we're thinking about the one that is being used in Greek, because that's what the biblical authors were thinking. Not the English word, they were thinking the Greek word. So we need to be careful, we're thinking with them. Observation number three, God is the only one who subjects. Scripture commandment is that we subject ourselves. Unbiblical submission 
is anywhere where someone is subjecting someone else. Observation number four. Submission and obedience are not exactly the same thing. Observation number five. Where did it go? Um, observation number five. The higher purpose of our submission is to please God and obey Him. And so we can solve a lot of problems that way. So what is our biblical definition of submission? Well, this is something I came up with on my own, so I'm sure it's lacking. Uh, and like I said at the beginning, there's lots more we could study about submission, so there's probably more we could add to this. But I'll give you one sentence that at least was helpful for me. Biblical submission is an attitude of willingly yielding to God-ordained authorities so that we may please and honor Him. Biblical submission is an attitude of willingly yielding to a god to God-ordained authorities, so that we may please and honor Him, the Lord. That's what I think a biblical definition of submission is. So when we approach 1 Peter, and we'll get back into 1 Peter specifically next time, concerning subjecting ourselves, we must think biblically about what subjection is. Wives, servants, all of us. We must think biblically about what it is and not carry in those negative thoughts or even just the entire thinking, negative or not, about what submission is. We have to think biblically about it. It is an inward attitude of the heart. It's always for the greater purpose of serving the Lord. And our ultimate obedience is always to the Lord. And it's what directs our attitude of submission. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you today for... um, Lord, this is one of the subjects in Scripture where there's a lot of material that we can draw on, and I'm thankful for that because it helps us to understand. It's not really a mystery once we start looking um, all over your word for what you mean by subjection and, and being submissive. Lord, I pray for our hearts. It's often hard, especially in the American culture where independence and no one's going to tell me what to do is kind of uh, carried with us at birth. It's just part of our culture. I pray, Lord, that we would all seek to understand what a submissive heart looks like to you. And we would gladly submit to these things and see how you work through Christ, Lord. For example, you brought about tremendous good and a tremendous outcome from his attitude and heart of submission. And I pray that we would have the same attitude, looking for your salvation, looking for your work in the midst of our, um, in the midst of the ways that you call us to submit. So, Lord, help us to understand these verses as next time we dig into First Peter a little bit more. Help us to come at them with the right approach, the right understanding, and to apply these things as you would have us. Amen.